This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. We are in the book of Micah today, the book of Micah, just seven short chapters. And if I had to encapsulate Micah's message, I would use Solomon's words where he said, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Micah will single out a number of different issues and sins going on among his own countrymen and warning them of impending judgment because they've just gone completely off the rails and their only hope is to to get back. And Micah's book will go back and forth throughout the seven chapters of back and forth between judgment and restoration. So he will continually call out sin and again pronounce God's judgment, but also continually remind people that a time of restoration would come for the faithful if they would, of course, prove faithful. But what I want to do today is single out all these sins and symptoms and and why it is that Micah is calling out his people. What, what What did Micah see that was bringing down all all of his countrymen, and and that was invoking God's wrath, and going to be their their reason for their downfall. And so let's just dive dive right in here. Micah will save himself. I I'll start with this verse from Micah chapter three and verse eight. He says, "As for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin." And you know, that would basically summarize the entire introduction there. That's what Mike is about. That's what he was sent to do. And what one of the things that he sees, if you back up earlier in that, in that chapter, in chapter 3 and verse 2, it says that they covet fields and then they seize them and houses and take them away. They rob a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. And, and you who hate good and love evil, who tear off their skin from them and their flesh from their bones, who eat the flesh of my people, strip off their skin from them. Um, that first verse was actually from chapter 2 and verse 2, and then I jumped ahead of chapter 3 and verse verse 2. But what we what he's calling out there is those in high positions, those who were wealthy, those who had authority in the country, they took delight in abusing the poor and abusing their power. And there was a great deal of fear and hatred on their part. They loved evil, verse 2, and that just made life miserable for everybody. As, as they were abusing one another. And so the whole country was just ready for collapse. And the priests and the prophets and kings, those in power, and again, those with those with wealth and those who certainly knew better and had been given the specific charge of leading the, uh, the people in not just civic, from a civic standpoint politically, but also the, the religious and spiritual standpoint. They Those people were largely responsible for carrying the rest of the country were to where they were um, in in chapter three. If we if you look back down in verses nine through twelve, it says here Micah says hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity, its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money. And yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. 
Right. So he's, he's singling out all these different classes of, uh, of, of people, the judges and the, and the, the priests and the prophets who are just ruled by their greed and their, their money and their, and they're cruel to one another and they're cruel to their people. And there's, there's miscarriages of justice and all this marked and demonstrated just how ungodly they had become. Right. And, and, and on top of all of that, they were saying, is not the Lord in the midst of us. So they're, so they're doing this. And of course, Micah's calling them out, but they just, they have no shame whatsoever. In fact, they've, they're doubling down and saying, Yahweh, our God is in, in the midst of us. No disaster is going to come upon us. And so it's, it's just terrible. There wasn't any love for truth in them. Uh, they weren't themselves trying to live godly. And they certainly weren't encouraging and teaching others the way of God and trying to uh, uh, the doctrine of God to so that they would live godly. In chapter two and verse six, it says Micah's is is echoing their their voices, and he says, "Do not preach is what they preach, right?" So their message, their preaching is this: Don't preach. Do not preach these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should it be said, O house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these the things he does? Do not my words bring good to him who walks uprightly? But of late my people have arisen up like an enemy. You strip off the splendid robe from unsuspecting passers-by like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from their children forever. Arise and depart, for this is not your place of rest, because its defilement brings destruction, a grievous destruction. Right. So they they were just closing their ears to, to all of this and, and didn't want to hear it. And if any preaching was to be done, the people just wanted to be pandered to. And they wanted to hear whatever would allow them to continue in their selfish course and continue in immorality and idolatry and all the things that, that they were just eat up with. And in fact, that's what Micah says in the very next verse in chapter 2 and verse 11. He says, If a man walking after wind and falsehood had told lies and said, I will speak out to you concerning wine and liquor, and he would be a spokesman to this people. Right? So that's that's what they want to hear. They want to hear about sensuality and pleasure and falsehood, and and you know immorality, and all of it was just flourishing, and it was ruining the integrity of this people. They were just trapped in this sin to the point that no one could be trusted, not even the priests and not even the prophets. Of course, they were false prophets, but the priests were had the specific charge to to teach the people. And Micah laments this this fact towards the end of his book. He says, the, the godly have perished from the earth. There's no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood. They're all hunting each other with with a net in verse 2 of chapter 7. Uh, so, and, and if you were to continue reading in verse 4, it says, the best of them is like a briar, like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth for her who lies in your arms. The son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are those of his own house. And verses 4 through 6. So this is what it had de- degenerated to. Uh, even you know members of the, their own households, they were at odds against one another. And Jesus, of course, will echo these words. In Matthew chapter 10, to his followers, around verse 30 and following, as he's warning Christians that those who follow him need to understand that he's 
bringing a sword and that a man's enemies will again be members of his own house because of their faithfulness to to Jesus. Uh, mothers will turn against daughters and, and fathers against sons and vice versa. And, and it all has to, you know, the reason those relationships were disrupted and, and some of them severed was, would be for the same reason they were in Micah's day. Uh, sin, right? Clinging to sin versus clinging to truth. And so the the degeneration and the sin of false prophets was such that they were um, willing to make war on anybody who opposed them. It didn't matter if you know they were blood relation or whatever the case may be. If 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 you were at odds with them and their message and their agenda and what they wanted to do, then you would be their their enemy. And so all the same things that you know we see condemned in Amos and, and Hosea, you find it again in, in Micah. In, in verse 5 uh, of chapter 3 that we read, As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace, and if they have something to eat, if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to, to feed them. Right? So you're, you know, either going to support me in this or I'm going to be your worst enemy. And Micah and Amos and Hosea's messages is consistent. It's it's being repackaged in you know different figures or visions and, and ways, but it is essentially the, the same. In, in Micah chapter six and verse eight, we read and we see this instruction again in the context of God's hatred for ritualism and, and feigned worship. So you have these priests and preachers and, and prophets. You know, saying these things like God's in the midst of us and, you know, we're still doing, uh, you know, our, our worship. But it was all just for show, right? They were essentially, you know, doing the ancient equivalent of selling indulgences, right? They're saying, okay, if you pay me enough, then that that's what's going to make you okay with, with God, right? And And sadly, this is still going on today. And it's just as worthy of condemnation today. It's it's just as sinful today as it was as it was then. We know as we look at all of Scripture, what God desires, of course, is is genuine love and and loyalty, and that's the only thing that's ever been acceptable uh, to Him, and and leads to genuine obedience and an acceptable life. And in Deuteronomy chapter five and verse twenty nine. You know, all the way back there, God says, Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commandments always, so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Right? He he's always desired the the inner man, right? The the inner love and trust. Outward conduct is essential, but it depends on inward character and, and love for God if we're gonna have real fellowship with him. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter fifteen and verse four. He says, Remain in me. And I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove 
to be my disciples. All right, so yes, in bearing fruit, we prove to be Jesus' disciples, but you know, what does he say leading up to that teaching? Well, failure to abide in him, in the vine, cannot help but lead to failure in fruit bearing, right? The, the two are married together, right? In verse 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing, and that means exactly that. And it's it's and he's not saying that no one can be uh, moral without Jesus, right? People make good moral decisions that happen to be in line with His will all the time, even though they're not they're not Christians. But but I believe his point is is that no matter how noble one's motives may be in doing what the Scripture defines as good, um, if if they're not springing from a relationship, genuine fellowship with Jesus and a love for Him and to, and a desire to glorify Him, they mean nothing. Right, because nobody can earn earn their way to heaven. Right, we we it doesn't matter how selfless someone may be or service oriented their lives may be without Christ. the The only alternative is to try to establish your own righteousness, which is impossible. Only in Christ can righteousness be found, because only He affords forgiveness to take away our sins. You know, pe- again, people in Micah's day were saying. You know, here you know her leaders pronounce judgment for a bribe, and they they lean on the Lord, saying, "Is not the Lord in our midst?" But God's goodwill is not secured by simply, you know, going through the motions. Yeah, these people were doing some token sacrifices, I, I guess, in, in some form of the, of the the tabernacle worship, but they weren't living in harmony with principles of righteousness. They weren't doing it out of love for Him and a desire to honor Him. Right, and that principle carries over into the new covenant as well. We must bear fruit for God, and can only bear fruit for God when it's done out of a genuine desire to glorify Him, and as we are trusting in Jesus to forgive us of our sins. You know, just as God was, He was going to remove those physical blessings from Israel and, and take away their place um, as a picture of what was happening spiritually to them. The same is true. For for us now, we can't expect to have the spiritual blessings from God when we're not living in harmony with His will and with His purpose for us. And, you know, it's true, yes, all Christians sin. We see that in in First John 1, verses 9 through 11. And if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. And we're making God out to be to be a liar. But the, the difference is, you know, as we ha- strive to... Ha- be obedient and have fellowship with other Christians. We are should be at least be striving at the same time to avoid sin. It's not that we are deliberately, or at least we shouldn't be deliberately continuing in willfully as these people were, and just completely calloused and 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 glossing over what we've done and just saying, yeah, well, I still go to church and yeah, I still you know do whatever. But the the disciple of Christ as he's striving to bear fruit for the Lord is also constantly confessing and praying for forgiveness being honest with himself and with God about the sin in, in his or her life right fellowship with God is based upon forgiveness through Jesus Christ that comes from submitting to him out of love right he excuse me Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 that you became free from sin, sin having obeyed that form of doctrine from the heart. And of course, doctrine Paul is talking about is the gospel, the teaching of Christ in that context. And so, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, the people in Micah's day 
had been corrupted by sin, just as you know, most of the world is is now. And the only way out is not to pretend that it isn't there and turn a blind eye, or to say, you know, well, I, you know, I give, I give back to the church sometime, or I go to church every now and then, or my, or my, you know, most of my family's Christian. You know, that none of that's the answer. You know. Or, you know, I, I vote a certain way. None of that's the answer. The only way back and the only way to healing is obedience to Jesus Christ. Only in that can you obtain the means of, of fellowship with God, which is the forgiveness found in Him. Thanks for tuning in.